Well, in preparation for this message, the Holy Spirit began to create this little motion picture in my heart. I saw myself in this vast forest. I had lost my way. I didn't know east from west and north from south, to be honest with you. Hour after hour, I searched for my way out. The evening fell and I spent my first night in that vast forest. And there are a lot of creepy sounds in the forest. In fact, when it's totally silent, it can almost be almost more creepy. I woke the next day and began my journey again to find my way out of this place. I'm tired. I'm worn out. I'm hungry, I'm thirsty, and to be honest with you, every negative thought is going through my head. I don't know why we do that, but we have this tendency, don't we, to think in terms of negative, in terms of when we can't explain something, we can't seem to find our way through or navigate, our, we, we always have this default system to think the worst. So I want to speak to someone in here today that Maybe you have found yourself in that situation where you can't seem to find your way out of something. Well, of course, we know that Jesus is that way. And so as I was going through the forest, in a distance I saw a mountain. It wasn't a big mountain, but somehow innately I knew in my spirit, if I could just climb that mountain, I would be able to get a better view and maybe I could see for miles and know which direction to take. And with what energy I had left, I pulled those saplings as I marched my way and fumbled my way up that mountain. I used what energy I had and I stood on top of that mountain. The sights that I could see were breathtaking. And on any other day, that would have been a delightful experience. As I looked through a panoramic view of things, I thought all I can see in my virtual 360 is trees. So it wasn't so delightful for me. I fumbled my way down that mountain and I continued my journey. And as I walked along, I came into this clearing. And into this clearing, there was a table set. And it was set with the finest linen tablecloth. The dishes were on there for me. The chalice held my favorite beverage. My favorite food was on the plate. It was hot and steamy. And I began to look around to think, where did all this come from? But nobody was there. Next to one side of that plate was a placard with my name on it. And on the other side of that plate was a map that showed me my way out of the forest. I sat down and I devoured that meal and strengthened by that meal and encouraged by the note that was left behind for me, I got up with a new sense of hope and I walked right out of that woods. Now, as I was thinking about this, there are several conclusions that came to my mind. But the first conclusion I came to is that somebody was there 
before me. I mean, how could you argue that point? Somebody was there. Number two, somebody knew I was coming. After all, the table was set for me. And number three, somebody prepared the way for my success. I don't think you can argue with any of those conclusions. With that story in your heart, I want to minister for a little while this morning through a message I'm calling the forerunner of freedom. You say, Pastor Mark, what in the world does that story and the title, The Forerunner of Freedom, have in common? A forerunner is someone that goes before another. That's why he's called the forerunner. In other words, they get there first. Forerunners know that someone or something is coming behind them. Forerunners are persons or things that prepare the way for the success or accomplishment of another. In other words, the forerunner is not the main attraction. No one goes to the Indianapolis 500 just to watch the pace car. Why not? Because it's not the main attraction. The pace car is there to introduce the main attraction. How silly would it be if you went to the movie theater and you bought your ticket and you bought your popcorn and your soda and you went and sat down and then after you watched the previews for the upcoming movies, you got up and left. That wouldn't make any sense at all. Why? Because you bought a ticket to see the feature presentation. You bought a ticket. You got a ticket to see the main attraction. The forerunner has a single-minded motivation. He or she is not there to draw attention to themselves or to promote themselves. Their deepest heart's desire is to prepare the way for the success of another person. That's exactly what we do at Triumphant Grace Ministries. We are not here to promote ourselves. We are here to promote Jesus Christ and Him alone. He is the main attraction. We see forerunners like John the Baptist who told his listeners, he told them with his own tongue, he said, I'm not the main attraction. Now he didn't say it exactly like that, but he told them plainly that he was not the main attraction. His words are recorded by the Apostle John in John chapter 1, verses 26 through 29. This is what John the Baptist said. He said, I baptize with water, but among you stands one you do not know. He is the one who comes after me, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. What was John saying? John was saying, I'm not the main attraction. John was saying, I'm the forerunner. I'm just the pace car. That's all I am. But among you stands one you do not know. He is the one who comes after me, the straps of whose sandals I'm not worthy to untie. This all happened at Bethany on the other side of the Jordan where John was baptizing. Now watch these words. The next day John saw Jesus coming toward him and he said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Now let me say something here. 
If you want to take two statements and lock them in the treasure chest of your heart, it would be those two statements right there. Behold, that means look. Look to, look for, look in. Look, behold the Lamb of God. I want to tell you something. We look to too many things when we ought to be looking to the Lamb of God. We're watching the pace car. No, behold the Lamb of God. And then what was his message? He said one of the most profound things you could say who takes away the sin of the world. He didn't say he covers it. He said he takes it away. He takes away the sin of the world. Now, my question is, why in the world did John the Baptist call Jesus the Lamb of God? Good question, isn't it? Had he planned on using those words? Had he rehearsed those words? You see, those words that he used had never been used before in all of history. He didn't borrow these words from someone else. They had never been used. Every single time we minister, whether it's my wife or Pastor Steve or myself, we will say things up here that we did not even plan on saying. It happens all the time. They're not in our notes. And when John was minding his own business, baptizing people, he looked up and he saw Jesus walking toward him and he said, Behold, the Lamb of God. It wasn't in his notes. It's just the way it hit him. I believe that when John the Baptist saw Jesus walking toward him, something just leaped on the inside of him and it wasn't a grasshopper, friends. It was the Holy Spirit. It's the way it happens to me too. It's right here in my belly. All of a sudden, I'll just feel the Holy Spirit leap. I believe that's what happened to John. He was just minding his own business, doing what he knew he was called to do. And all of a sudden, he looked up and he saw Jesus walking toward him and he said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. John called Jesus the Lamb of God because John knew by the Spirit that Jesus would become the sacrificial lamb for the world. You see, John was only familiar with the current system. You fail, you go get a lamb, take him to the priest. You sin, you go get a lamb, take it to the priest. Oh, what if you sin next week? You get a lamb, you take it to the priest. That's all that John was familiar with because that was the system at the time. And so when he saw Jesus coming and he said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. I mean, you talk about radical? Oh, that was radical. Now, the word that John used for sin is hemartia. Hemartia. When you look in the Greek and you look in the New Testament, you'll find two words primarily used for sin. Hemartia and hemarteno. One is the verb, one is the noun. I'm going to leave it up to you for just a moment to figure out, was that the noun or is that the verb that he used there? See, the noun speaks of the person, the verb speaks of the action. So what was John saying? John knew by the Spirit when he said that word, and he used the right word too. He said hemartia. Hemartia is a noun. Now, why is that important for us to know that? Why is it important for us to know that John used the noun tense rather than the verb? You see, John the Baptist, the forerunner of freedom, is telling his listeners at the Jordan River, number one, the Lamb of God has arrived. <laughs> Do you see him? He's here. The Lamb of God has arrived. He did that when he said, behold, the Lamb of God. But when John added those words, who takes away the sin of the world, that statement 
absolutely paralyzed the vocal cords of the Pharisees who were standing on the bank of the Jordan that day. They didn't know what to say. I mean, it stunned them. It shocked them to the core. The deeper truth behind John's statement was this, that the Lamb is going to take away the sin of the world. Absolutely. But this is the way it technically translates when you figure out that he's talking about the noun. It translates like this. The Lamb has not come to deal with your action. The Lamb has come to deal with your Adam. Now, I don't want to rush that, okay? Because I want that to sink into your hearts this morning. So often I just move on to my next point and we lose the impact of things. Jesus did not come to deal with our action. His sole purpose for coming was to deal with our Adam because when you deal with the Adam, you don't have to worry about the action. You deal with the action, you're going to keep coming, you're going to keep coming, you're going to keep sacrificing. He came to deal with our man, the nature of man, Adam. Remember, Jesus' primary purpose for coming is not to deal with the mess. He came to deal with the man. You see, if Jesus only dealt with man's action, his work would never be done. But because Jesus dealt with man's Adam, the work is finished. Only the last Adam had the power to deal with that first Adam's sin. He's the only one that could do that. John the Baptist said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. I'll bet it grew so quiet at the Jordan River that day that you could hear the locust chirping in John's stomach. He takes away the sin of the world? That is a radical thing to say. Those words had never been said before. They thought John was crazy. So question, how do we know for sure that Jesus dealt with our Adam once for all? Do we have scriptures that support that? Oh, we use them all the time. Yes, we do. How do we know for sure that Jesus dealt with our old man, our old Adam once for all? Let's look at some of those scriptures. Romans chapter 5, verses 12 and 13. Apostle Paul says, therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man, who's one man? That's Adam. <laughs> That's how sin came into the world, one man, Adam. And death through sin. You can't have life from sin. It always creates death. Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin. And in this way, what's he mean? In the same way it happened to Adam, it happened to us through that sin that Adam passed down to us. And in this way, death came to all people because all sinned. To be sure sin was in the world before the law was given. Look at these next words, though. They are just the most awesome words in the Bible. But sin is not charged to anyone's account where there is no law. Look at those words. Sin is not charged against anyone's account where there is no law. Nine or ten years ago, before the message of grace began to drip into my heart, I am not kidding, I entertained it for a few months. I honestly thought it would be a noble thing for me to do, a spiritual thing for me to do, to put the Ten Commandments on the side of my door. So it would always be a reminder as I walked out the door, love the Lord your God, don't steal your neighbor's stuff, don't covet, you know. I mean, I just thought that would be a spiritual thing. I saw him doing the Old Covenant. I thought that'd be spiritual. I just never got around to it, and I thank God I didn't, because I'd have to have repainted it a long time ago. 
But if I was going to write something on the side of my door or above my door, it would be that one right there. Sin is not charged against anyone's account where there is no law. That would be a wonderful reminder. Every day I walked out, sin is not charged against my account today where there is no law. Romans chapter 6, verse 14. For sin shall no longer be your master because you are not under the law, but under grace. Friends, that scripture should release some happy tears. <laughs> Look at what it says. For sin shall no longer be your master because you're not under the law, but under grace. Now the Apostle Paul has moved from the fifth chapter. Of course, he's not writing chapter and verses. He's all in one letter. But Romans chapter 5 was where we were just at a minute ago, where it talked about sin not being charged to our account, where there's no law. And then in Romans 6, 14, he says you're not under the law. Well, if you're not under the law, that means sin cannot be charged to your account. Do you see how the connection is there? It cannot be. I understand how condemnation can feel. I understand that. But I'm telling you, based upon God's word, and he cannot lie, sin cannot be charged to my account. Because I'm born again and in Christ. Romans chapter 7, verse 4. So, my brothers and sisters, look at that. You also died to the law through the body of Christ, that you might belong to another, to him who was raised from the dead, in order that we might bear fruit for God. More happy tears. Uh, that just makes me happy when I see stuff like this. Oh, we're talking about law. We're talking about sin not being charged in my account where there is no law. And the Apostle Paul said that we're not under the law. And then here he says, I died to the law. I love that. Galatians chapter 2, verses 19 through 21. For through the law, I died to the law so that I might live for God. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God. For if righteousness could be gained through the law, oh man, are you kidding me? It says Christ died for nothing. I mean, that is just as plain and harsh as you can get. He said, listen, if you could have worked your way into righteousness by the law, he said, then Jesus died for nothing. You see, Jesus didn't come to partner with the law. <laughs> Jesus didn't come to partner with the law. Jesus didn't do that. He came to fulfill it so that we could die to the law. Think about that awesome truth. A dead man is unresponsive to his surroundings. He hears nothing. He sees nothing. He feels nothing. Nothing disturbs him. So when the Apostle Paul said we are dead to law, he was basically saying the law no longer disturbs me. And I'll tell you what, it doesn't disturb me either. He was saying the law no longer disturbs me. He was saying the law no longer distracts me. The law no longer directs me, and the law no longer disciplines me. I am not driven by law. I am led by grace. Are you seeing that? Isn't that glorious news? Listen, the law is holy and righteous and good. I don't want to beat the law up, but I'm telling you, we are not under the law, but we are under grace. And the Apostle Paul told us with specific words, you have died to the law, you are not under the law, you are under grace. I am dead to the law. Romans chapter 6, verses 6 and 7. For we know that our old self was crucified with him, so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin, because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. The very last song we sang incorporated the lyrics, I'm no longer a slave to fear. I want you to know something this morning. You're not only no longer a slave to fear, but you're no longer a slave to law. 
You're no longer a slave to sin. And they're all connected. You entertain one, I'm telling you, you'll get them all. You can't be a friend of mine and not a friend of my wife's. I mean, come on, you get me, you get her. If you want the law, you're going to get fear with it. You're always going to be fearful. You get the law, you're going to sin more under the law than you would under grace. Grace has this ability to restrain us. Back to Romans chapter 5, verses 12 and 13, and then we'll add 14 through 19. Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man, again, that's Adam, and death through sin, and in this way death came to all people because all sin, to be sure, sin was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not charged against anyone's account where there is no law. Sin was in the world before God put the old covenant of law in place through Moses. But look at what the scriptures tell us. Sin is not charged against anyone's account where there is no law. That's the way it was then, and that's the way it is now. Do we sin? Yes. Is our sin charged against us? No. Why? Because the cross worked. The cross worked and we are not under the law. To say that we're still under the law says the cross didn't work. I'm telling you, his cross worked. Gets me excited when I think about this. His cross worked. Continuing. Nevertheless, death reigned from the time of Adam to the time of Moses. Now, why does he pick those two names? I mean, why not Adam and John? Why not Adam and Paul? Because what he's wanting us to see there is Adam was the first one who sinned. Moses was the one who first got the law. Let me tell you something, man. There is no flesh that's justified by the law. We see that truth in Galatians chapter 2, verse 16. We see that in Romans chapter 3, verse 20. He says, Nevertheless, death reigned from the time of Adam to the time of Moses, even over those who did not sin by breaking a command as did Adam, who is the pattern of the one to come. But the gift is not like the trespass, for if the many died by the trespass of the one man, how much more did God's grace <laughs> and the gift that came by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, overflow to many? Nor can the gift of God be compared with the result of one man's sin. The judgment followed one sin and brought condemnation, but the gift followed many trespasses and brought justification. That word justification means righteousness, being made right with God. A best way to remember it is to say it brought innocence. We became innocent in the eyes of God through what Jesus did, that one man. For by the trespass of the one man, death reigned through that one man. How much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Consequently, just as one trespass resulted in condemnation for all people, so also one righteous act resulted in justification and life for all people. For just as through the disobedience of that one man, that's Adam, the many were made sinners, so also through the obedience of the one man, the many will be made righteous." You and I did nothing to become a sinner. We inherited it from Adam, period. When we were sinners, there was nothing we could do to change our nature. There was no good act we could do. There was no amount of good performance we could do to change our nature that Adam had passed down to us. In the same way, you and I did nothing to add to God's grace. 
to become children of God. It wasn't Jesus plus what you do. It wasn't Jesus' contribution plus yours. It was his contribution alone. It was his gift alone. That's why the Bible says it came as a gift, the gift of grace, the gift of righteousness. We have been given the nature of Jesus Christ. Every one of the scriptures that I just spoke into our hearts serve as forerunners of freedom. You see, you and I cannot walk in freedom if the foundation, listen to me carefully, if the foundation of our belief system is that Jesus came to deal with our performance. In other words, you'll never be free really in your heart. I'm not saying you won't be saved, but I'm saying you will not be free if your belief system is that Jesus came to deal with your performance. You'll never be free like that. So let me say it again from the panoramic view of the mountaintop, because I know the voice travels much better on top of the mountain. The Lamb of God did not come just to cleanse our action. The Lamb of God came to crucify our Adam. He didn't come just to cleanse our action. He said, I've got a deeper and better plan for you. I'm going to crucify your Adam. And then watch what happens in your life. Friends, the cross was the forerunner to freedom. And the cross worked perfectly. You see, before the cross, man's sinful actions were covered by his own sacrificial lamb. But with the cross, man's Adam was crucified by the Lamb of God. And Jesus' perfect sacrifice did away with our sacrifice once for all our sin offerings once for all. We see this truth in Hebrews chapter 10, verses 8 to 14. First he said, sacrifices and offerings, burnt offerings and sin offerings you did not desire, nor were you pleased with them, though they were offered in accordance with the law. Then he said, here I am, I have come to do your will. He sets aside the first to establish the second. Now this is important because we understand what he's talking about there. That means he's setting aside the first covenant to establish the second or he's setting aside the first Adam to establish the last Adam. And by that will, look at these words, we have been made holy. The next time the enemy speaks into your heart, or you try to speak into your heart, that you've done something, you've thought something, you've said something, that you feel like you're unholy because of what you've done, I want you to look at those words right there that says, we have been made. It's a finished work. We're not being made, we have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ. Look at those words, once for all. Day after day, every priest stands and performs his religious duties. Again and again, he offers the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. The pace car is always on the track in that old covenant mentality. We used to only get to watch the previews because the feature presentation was hidden from us in the past, but now he's been revealed. He was revealed when John the Baptist said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. But when this priest had offered for all time one sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, and since that time he waits for his enemies to be made his footstool. For by one sacrifice he has made perfect forever those who are holy. Awesome. John the Baptist's mission in life was to introduce the man of grace. Did you notice that when John the Baptist saw Jesus walking toward him as he stood in the muddy Jordan, that John omitted the Facebook-worthy detail 
that he was the cousin of Jesus. I don't know if we could have done that. I would have said, oh, just a second. My cousin's got something to say. Just the way we do it, don't we? But John knew his mission in life. His mission wasn't to introduce his cousin. His mission was to introduce the Lamb of God. And he knew his mission in life. John cut right to the heart of the matter when he declared, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. John knew in his heart that he was merely the forerunner of freedom and Christ would bring it. The Apostle Paul was also a forerunner of freedom. You see, John the Baptist introduced the man of grace, but the Apostle Paul took it one step further. He not only introduced the man of grace, but he introduced the message of grace. The Apostle Paul reached back into the archives and he grabbed hold of the original pace car's words, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And that truth, that truth would serve to undergird every stroke of Paul's pen and every word that he would preach from that point forward. Look to Jesus. Look at Jesus. Look to Jesus. Behold, the Lamb of God. Friends, he takes away the sin of the world. And then Paul added the words, By grace through faith in Jesus Christ. Amen. When I think about the freedom we have, both in this country and in Christ, it sets a dinner in my heart in the middle of a forest. I quickly reach the conclusion that someone came before me. Someone prepared the table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Someone had us in mind when they paid an extravagant price so that you and I could enjoy such liberties. That someone is none other than Jesus Christ. But I'm also aware of this, that the deeper the freedom, the deeper the cost. From our soldiers to our Savior, the forerunners of freedom have paid extravagant prices. I believe that in the shadow of the grave marker of every soldier, of every police officer, of every fireman, of every first responder, of every pastor, of every evangelist, of every missionary, of every hero, in the shadow of their cross should hang the words that Jesus spoke in John chapter 15, 13, when he said, Greater love hath no man than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. Pioneers that have blazed the trail as forerunners of freedom have paid the ultimate price. John the Baptist was beheaded for his cry of repentance. John the Baptist was saying, change your mind, and he was beheaded for that. President Abraham Lincoln was assassinated because of his determination to let freedom ring in our land. The Apostle Paul was killed because he refused to add anything to the message of salvation by grace through faith. Paul, if you would have just let up in that one area, they would have left you alone, but he refused. He said, no. He understood as a forerunner, this is why I've come. I've come not to just introduce the man of grace. I've come to introduce the message of grace. And if you take salvation by grace through faith and you cast that out of there, you don't have salvation. I don't know what you've got, but you don't have salvation. You don't have grace. Martin Luther King was assassinated because he had a dream for freedom. I'm telling you, these men and women of God have paid awesome prices for freedom. Our men and women of the military have lost limbs and lives to protect the freedom of our country. 
The broken chains at the feet of the Statue of Liberty represent escape from oppression, yet many people, including the body of Christ, are bound by performance-centered doctrine. Look at her feet! Those chains are broken! Because she stands in the harbor of New York saying, come on, oppressed. Come to this nation. I want to remind the body of Christ once again that the cross worked. The Lamb of God took away our sins. The cross of Christ represents our escape from the bondage of sin and death, the penalty of sin and death. The cross of Christ closed our sin account. I love that. The cross closed our sin account. The cross was the forerunner of freedom. I don't want to take anything away from these men and women and these monuments, but I do want to remind you that the greatest sacrifice of all time was that of our precious Lord Jesus Christ. He was crucified so that he could set us free from the sinful DNA of the first Adam, so that we could be free from the empty way of lives that was handed down to us by our forefathers, so that we could be free from the snare of the evil one, so that he could show us the way out of the deep woods we found ourselves lost in, so that he could free us from the revolving door of lamb after lamb sacrifice so that he could free us from the Mosaic law, so that he could free us from guilt and fear and shame and condemnation. Jesus' perfect sacrifice has given us a perfect and complete freedom. Now, this message was stirred in my heart from the scriptures I found in Galatians chapter 5, verse 1. And I want to show it to you in two different versions of the Bible. The first one is the New International Version of the Bible. It says, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. That's the New International Version of the Bible. Now let's look at it in the Living Bible. So Christ has made us free. Now make sure that you stay free and don't get all tied up again in the chains of slavery, the Jewish laws and ceremonies. When the Apostle Paul is speaking of staying free, he's not talking about retaining our salvation. He's talking about retaining your sanity. I'm telling you, you'll lose your mind. You start mixing law and grace together, it gets confusing. You begin to lose your sanity. He's talking about you lose your confidence. In Hebrews 4.16, the Bible says that we can boldly approach the throne of grace with confidence we can approach the throne of grace where we obtain mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Do you know how many believers have blown it? And because they're under condemnation, not by God, but by what they believe, they don't feel like they can approach His throne of grace. They just don't feel like they're worthy to approach His throne of grace. I'm telling you, you can. He said it is for freedom that we have been set free. But the interesting thing about what he's saying there, chapter 4 actually has 31 verses. Chapter 4 should have had 32 verses. And that one right there belongs in, in chapter 4, right there. Because the context when it says, he has made us free, finally the Apostle Paul reached this 2.12. He's boiling now. He's hot. He's on fire. But he has worked his way through chapter 4 with some awesome truths. And he finally says, Christ has made us free. What's in chapter 4? Stuff like, 
Beginning at verse 4, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of the son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. That's why he could step over into this particular verse and said, you've been set free. I just told you, you're no longer a slave. And then he wraps up Galatians 4. I mean, the very last words he said before he said this one right here. If you'll just follow him right there in verse 21. Tell me, you who desire to be under the law, do you not listen to the law? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by the slave woman and the other by the free woman. But the son of the slave woman was born according to the flesh, while the son of the free woman was born to the promise. Now, this may be interpreted allegorically. These women represent two covenants. And he goes on to talk about those two covenants. And as soon as he explains that you are no longer under that old covenant, your mother is not Hagar, your mother is Sarah, metaphorically speaking, then as soon as he releases that powerful truth, then he said, so, (laughs) or some versions, therefore, Therefore means, I want to show you where we just came from, okay? Therefore makes no sense by itself. Therefore saying, listen, it's a bridge. I want to take you back to here, what I was just talking to you about, and I want to say, therefore, it is for freedom that Christ has set you free. When the Apostle Paul is talking about staying free, he's talking about retaining your rest. We wear ourselves out because we can't rest. We're troubled. I'm telling you, Jesus has built a bridge over troubled waters, friends. We wear ourselves out when we can just say, listen, it's for freedom. It's for that reason that you have made us free. So that we could experience what freedom really feels like. We're no longer slaves. That is not a random scripture, and that is not a random thought. The Apostle Paul knew exactly what he was saying. We broke it up into chapters and verses, but when he wrote the letters to the Galatians, he wrote one letter that was all one big letter, and he worked his way through what we call chapter 4, and then he released that truth right there. And he said, it's for that reason right there. All those reasons I just came through showing you right there that you've been set free. And you know what he tied it to? He tied it to sonship. He tied it to covenant. How beautiful. Friends, the forerunner to freedom is our covenant. You can't be free unless you understand the covenant. First of all, the covenant gives you the freedom in your spirit, man. But the understanding of this covenant that my sin is no longer charged against my account sets me free in my soul, sets me free in my entire man. Friends, the wonderful truths that reach out to us from the scriptures are these. The pace car has left the track. Behold, the Lamb of God. Our lamb-by-lamb sacrifice for sin is no longer necessary because Jesus has taken away the sin of the world. That is, to everybody that would come to Him by faith and put their trust in Him, He has taken away their sin. We have a higher privilege than to stand in the harbor as a statue of liberty. We are seated with Christ in heavenly places as sons of liberty. Sons of freedom, the chains of slavery that bound our ankles at one time have been broken. The main attraction lives on the inside of us now. Therefore, our message is it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. 
The forerunner of freedom is the revelation that our sin account has been closed. We are no longer slaves. We are sons of liberty. The Lamb of God did not just come to cleanse our action. The Lamb of God came to crucify our Adam in Jesus' name. Daddy, I want to thank you for your loving kindness today, Daddy. I want to thank you. I want to thank you for this message that dripped into our heart this morning. Sometimes we just need a strong reminder that we're no longer lost in a deep forest. We have found our way out because Jesus said in John 14, 6, I am the way. I'm not a way, I'm the way. And you have led us into freedom. And I want to thank you, Father, that every time I think about my freedom, every time I think about my liberty, I'm going to tie it to my sonship, tie it to the fact that I'm an heir in Christ, tie it to covenant, Daddy, because that's where it came from. They were the forerunners for me to understand this great liberty that I have. Daddy, I want to thank you for the forerunners of freedom. The words that they have penned have dripped in my heart, and those words were from the Holy Spirit and they bear witness with my heart. It is for freedom that I have been set free. In Jesus' name, amen.